Today I want to talk to you about Salvation Summits, Salvation Summits. The state of Colorado boasts of 58 different peaks of 14,000 feet or greater. They're called 14ers. Maybe some of you have hiked or ascended to the top of a 14er. Some people, their lifetime goal is to hike to the top of a certain number of 14ers. I've been told that the views and the wildlife are, are stunning to behold, you know, at the top like that. And uh, as we look at the pages of Scripture, there are certain 14ers. There, there are certain passages that they give us perspectives on life eternal, eternal life. Um, Titus chapter 3 is one of those chapters, and it gives us some insight into what salvation really is. And today I want to talk to you about the summits of salvation because salvation is the most important decision that a person can ever make. I mean, by the way, eternity is a long time, is it not? And maybe we ought to make sure that we got that right of all the other things. Um, and there's a lot of salvation confusion um, some people subscribe to the belief of universalism, which is the idea that every person goes to heaven. Um, but, but Jesus himself uh, said otherwise. In fact, Jesus described the, uh, the life of a, of a faithful follower as somebody who was on a narrow path and, and a path that few find. Um, Jesus also said in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. So, so universalism doesn't hold water. Others think that salvation comes by being a good person, but it's difficult to know just how good that you really have to be if you get to heaven by your own merits. And, and uh, Jesus said otherwise, about that as well. In fact, there would be no reason for Jesus to come to earth and to die on the cross and rise from the grave if we did not need uh, a pathway to heaven, if we could get there by ourselves. Um, a lot of people just don't know. And uh, I talk to people regularly that just kind of throw up their hands and say, you know, in the end, I'll just hope for the best. But, but scripture is clear that we spend eternity in one of two places, either heaven or in hell. And so because the stakes are so high, I think it's important today for us to dig into the scripture and to make sure that we understand these salvation summits. Let's look together at the book of Titus, Titus chapter three, uh, beginning in verse three. Titus is a letter written by the apostle Paul to one of his uh, friends that he led to, to saving faith. He was a Gentile convert and he was a Christian leader, and Paul had great affection for this man named Titus. And so he's challenging Titus in this way in the third chapter of the book that bears his name. And uh, the first thing I want us to see is that I'm a mess before Christ. I'm a mess before Christ. Now look at this in verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. And you notice he says there, at one time. In other words, like my life before Christ looked like this, 
my life after Christ began to look much differently, right? Um, and, and you may look at that and say, well, Pastor, what do you mean by the fact that I, my life was a mess before I met Christ? I mean, I wasn't a drug dealer. I wasn't an axe murderer. Like, I mean, come on. Like, was my life really a mess? I mean, people like me. You know, I got a good job and I do a lot of nice things for people. But notice how the apostle describes the life without Christ. He says, first of all, uh, foolish. We too were foolish. Okay, anybody here ever done anything foolish? Amen? Amen? And, and sometimes we do foolish things after we met Christ. That's true. But before we met Christ, well, please don't give a testimony. Please don't raise your hand today. But I think you know what I'm saying today. Foolishness. And Paul says, listen, when you don't have Christ in your life, you do, you do some dumb things. You do some foolish things. You do some things that you wouldn't do afterwards. Maybe you thought, why did I say that? Why did I go there? Why did I date that person? How did I get into that? And, and you just did some things that were foolish. Will Smith um, recently talked about the fact that he went and did some psychedelic drugs because he was trying to get in touch with God um, to, to get some clarity from God on some things. Listen, if, if we have to use psychedelic drugs to get in touch with God, that says something significant about our soul, doesn't it? The brokenness that's within us. Listen, man, we don't, we don't have to use substances to get in touch with God. But listen, if you don't have Christ in your life, we revert to foolish things. And, and, and one of the salvation summits that we have to understand is that I'm a mess without Christ. He, he also says uh, we're disobedient. Proverbs 14 says foolish people don't care if, if they sin. Uh, you knew it was wrong. You did it anyway. Um, it, it means my heart was hard. He says we were, we were deceived. We thought we had all the answers. We thought we knew what to do. We thought we had it all figured out. Um, he says we were enslaved. In other words, we were even controlled by our own sinfulness, our thought patterns, our actions, our impulses. Uh, the New Living Translation paraphrases it this way, um, that, that, we were, that we were controlled by these things, that we were prisoners of sin. And Jesus came to set men and women free. In fact, that's one of the first things that Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke was that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind to set free those who were downtrodden. So, so Jesus came to set us free from the control that sin had over us. And, and when we look at certain choices and decisions that we've made over the past of our lives, we have to say, man, I was controlled by sin. I was confused. I, 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 I was mistaken. I, 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 was, I was whatever it was. And he goes on and he even describes it more specifically. He says malice and envy. You know, malice means not just wanting, not just wanting what someone has, but it is resenting that person for having it. That, that's really what malice and envy is. Envy especially. In fact, the word envy is an interesting word. 
in the Latin language, it's actually two words put together, in meaning uh, against and video meaning to look. So it means to look with ill will. So if I'm envious of you, I'm looking at at your house or I'm looking at your family or I'm looking at your career and and, and I'm doing so with, 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 with envy. I, I'm looking against. I'm doing so with ill will. This all describes the life of a person that doesn't have Christ. He says hatred. You know, when you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life, it's easy to hate people, is it not? I mean, when, when God is not the focus of your life and God's not in your conscience and in your heart, when people wrong us, we respond by hating. We hate people. And uh, all of these reasons, all of these words that the apostle is writing to, to, to Titus about uh, teach us that we should show compassion to people who are not saved. We, we should be compassionate because, listen, if you don't have Christ in your life, this is, this is the pattern of your life. The, the, these are the things, foolishness, the hatred, the envy, the, the strife, the disobedience. Those are the things that characterize a person's life that doesn't know God. That's why we need God. And we should never forget where we have come from. We should never forget, right? Because we came from that, amen? I mean, if you're a Christ follower, that's your old life. And, and, and sometimes Christian people, I think, especially if you've been walking with Jesus for a long period of time, it's kind of easy to forget about what it was like before Christ. What was it like before I knew the Lord? And we need a little reminder today. But listen, the gospel message of Jesus doesn't mean much if we don't understand where we came from. It really doesn't. And it's kind of uncomfortable to talk about disobedience and envy and hatred. Nobody gets excited about that. But this highlights the uniqueness, the power, and the significance of the work of Jesus. Because the second thing that Paul says to Titus is that I am rescued by God. Amen? I mean, if you weren't, if you weren't living in disobedience and hatred and envy and foolishness, then you would not need to be rescued. But here's the great news. God has rescued us. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. And then in verse 7, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. So, so this is the summit of salvation, man, is that God has rescued us. God is a rescuer. Now, Scripture refers to Jesus as a Savior. Here, God is a Savior. Both are true. God is our Savior, and only God can save a person. Only God can redeem a person's nature. You can only go to heaven because of God, not because of yourself. God, God is the Savior. God is the Savior. It's not me. 
That's why in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells us three parables about seeking and finding. He talks about the lost coin and the woman that can't find her coin, the poor woman, and she searches throughout the whole house until she finds it. Because God is a seeker. He talks about a shepherd who lost a sheep and goes and finds him. He talks about a loving father whose son has, who, who has left home and later returns. God is a savior. God is seeking whom he can save. And it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I mean, you notice there, God is described as a savior, but he's also described as one who's full of kindness and love. When I think of the word kindness, I think of like somebody who is, is like an elderly grandmother baking me cookies, you know? Kindness, right? Like just that gentleness, that meekness, that, 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 that simplicity. But, but God's kindness should not be confused with the fact that God is a pushover because he's not. But it is in God's strength that he is also one who is kind. And because of God's kindness and his love, he leads us to life change. In reaching people, we should be kind to people. That's the heart of God. You know, when we, if you're a Christian and you see people doing sinful things and doing things that are against your faith, be kind, be kind, because it is the kindness of God that leads us to really understand the heart of the Savior. And he says, not by works of righteousness, which we did ourselves. Uh, in other words, people don't go to heaven by their own merits. People don't go to heaven because of what they have achieved. It's not by, it's not by your works of righteousness, which we did ourselves. It's through the Savior, God, who sent his son Jesus to be born to the Virgin Mary, to live a perfect life, to be crucified, to be resurrected, and to put our faith in that Son of God, the Savior of the world. That, that's what it means. It's not by the works of righteousness. The Apostle Paul, the writer here, um, had pursued righteousness fervently, in his letter to the Philippian church, this is, this is Paul's resume. Okay, check this out. Now, if anybody's going to go to heaven because they've been the right person, listen to this. If any other man thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, I yet more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the assemblies, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Paul goes on and on and on in Philippians chapter 3, and he's like, listen, I was born into the right family. I had the right education. I had the right accolades. I knew I was connected. I knew the right people. I was zealous for my, Jew, for my faith in Judaism. And he goes on and on and on and on and on. But he concludes that that's not enough. Salvation doesn't come by our own works of righteousness. It, 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 it might be for you. It, it might be, you know, listing out the things that you've done or that you haven't done or 
maybe you're thinking, I'm not as bad as my next door neighbor, you know? Kind of set that bar kind of low. I've never done this before. I've never killed anybody. I mean, surely I would go to heaven. You know, listen, we go to heaven based on the Savior God, not on, of our own righteousness and our own works. And, and Paul describes it as the mercy of God. Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within their power to punish. That's God. God could punish us because of our sin, but God in his mercy chose to allow us a savior, and his name is Jesus. He talks about justification here. Justification is a one-time event. It means to be put in right standing with God. When I'm justified by faith, I'm, I'm in relationship with God. And it's a, it's, it's a one-time transaction. Sometimes people think, well, I'll be in right standing with God over a period of time. Listen, the moment, the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're in right standing with God. And no person can ever alter that. It's the work of the Lord. So we should be grateful. Man, listen, if you have been rescued from sin, we ought to say hallelujah. Amen. We, we ought to be saying, praise God. We ought to be grateful. Listen, look back over your life, church. Have you been foolish? Have you been envious? Have you been hateful? Have you been angry? Have you been hostile? But your life's been changed because God is a savior. God is a savior. He wraps this passage up by saying, I'm washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He saved us. Look at that in verse five. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So he uses this word rebirth. Listen, if you're going to go to heaven, you, you have to experience a rebirth. And we know that we have a physical birth. Amen. Like you wouldn't be here today if you were not physically born. But there's also a spiritual birth. Jesus called this being born again. And that's what Paul's referring to here when he talks about the washing of the rebirth. We're born once by the flesh, we're born another by the Spirit. Now, sometimes we hear that term, are you a born-again Christian? Sometimes the media uses that. We hear that term. And it's almost like there's different flavors of Christian, right? Like there's like normal Christians, and then there's like born-again Christians. Kind of like there's people who are in the Navy, and then there's the Navy SEALs, okay? Right? But, but if we're speaking from Scripture, there's only one kind of Christian. The only Christian is the person who is a born-again Christian. And, and to be born again means that the Spirit of God ha has, has taken up residence and witness with your spirit, and, and, and it's a new birth. Listen, Jesus did not come to give 
to give a person with a good life a better life. Jesus came to give an abundant life to a dead life. So, so we had no spiritual vitality. We had no life. But when we are born again, the Spirit of God comes into our life and we are regenerated in the Holy Spirit. That's why, like Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, joy, love, kindness, goodness, all those things. You can't have those things if the Holy Spirit is not stirring your heart. If you haven't been born by the Spirit of God, how can you have the fruit of God? It doesn't work. And he's talking here about the rebirth and the renewal. Being born again. Man, have you been born again? You know, I, I worry about our city, man, because I just see a lot of people that go through the motions of religiosity. People think they're a Christian. People think they're going to go to heaven one day because maybe they go to church once a quarter or they, you know, their grandmother was in the church choir they can quote a Bible verse or something like that. Listen, that's very different from being born again. It's very different. God wants us to have a new life. And it says here in verse 5 in the New Living Translation, He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. Wow, I love the wording of that. God took a power washer, God took a super soaker to our soul, and he cleansed us by the blood of Jesus. We're not the same anymore. We're not the same. Listen, that's why if you're a Christian, you can have a clean conscience. That's why you don't have to feel guilty and condemned by the foolish things that you've done in the past. It's an awesome thing. You, you, you get a new life. It's not a better version of an old life. It's a brand new life. And, and, and it begins with, with what he calls here the washing away of sins in the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Woo. Yeah. And, and so we begin to crave things that we didn't crave before. We begin to look at the world differently, we begin to have different thought patterns. We begin to have different motivations. We begin to have um, uh, different desires in our heart. Like I, I used to look at the world this way and, and then the Holy Spirit came in and I was regenerated, I was made new and now I'm starting to look at the world this way. It's beautiful. The message paraphrase describes it here. He gave us a good bath and we came out of it new people washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. These things don't make us born again. They reveal that we are. And the Holy Spirit does a beautiful thing in our heart. He wraps up there in verse 7 and he says, so, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. I mean, that, hope, that word hope doesn't mean like, man, I hope so. In the end, I'm going to just kind of hold it all up to God and wish for the best. 
No, it's a confidence. When the New Testament uses the word hope, it means like a certainty. I have a hope. I have a confidence. I have a, I have a goal that I'm moving towards. And having been justified by his grace, we become heirs. Having the hope of eternal life. Man, I want you to climb to some new peaks in your spiritual life today. It it begins by understanding, listen, without Christ, I'm a mess. (laughs) Number two, God is a savior. Number three, I'm washed and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me for just a minute?